So, when I was a kid, um, I had some pretty bad anger, anger management issues. I'm making a confession. When I got angry or frustrated, I did not know how to deal with it, and I would often take it out on the people around me. And so in elementary school, I often found myself at the principal's office after having gotten in a fight or having an outburst. And at one point, I even got a one-day suspension because of the trouble that I had gotten into. Thankfully, my parents, who are sitting here today, were very patient with me and helped me figure out how not to do that, how not to lash out at people around me when I got angry or frustrated. But it was a lot longer until I learned how to deal with the feeling of being angry. Right? As a kid or as a teenager, I knew that it was wrong to express my anger in certain ways, but I would still stew and seethe on the inside. I just would do my best not to make that known to the people around me. And that's not a failing of my parents, that's a failing of our culture. Because in our culture today, we're not very good at dealing with negative emotions. We live in a culture that is very emotionally closed off, and so we never learn how to deal with or express feelings like grief, hurt, or anger. And so none of us are good at this, unfortunately. And so that's why this summer we're doing our series on the Lament Psalms, because we need the Lament Psalms today. They help us express and process the emotions that all of us feel, but none of us know what to do with because none of us have the words to express. So when you feel abused or abandoned or angry, the Lament Psalms are there to help you work through those feelings. And so today I want to take a look at Psalm 137 and how we can hand our anger over to God, particularly when we've been hurt by other people. Before we dive into the psalm itself, I want to take a look at the context. Uh, So over the past few weeks, Rob and I have been talking about the importance of the headers in the psalms, right? So unlike most of the section headers in your Bible, the section headers in the psalms are original to the text, and they help you understand what kind of psalm you're about to read. Uh, Psalm 137 is the first psalm we'll be looking at this summer that does not have a header. The psalm is left to stand for itself. But that doesn't mean that we don't know the context of the psalm, because um, the first line of the psalm tells us the context that it was written in. Psalm 137 was written during the Babylonian exile. And so I want to take some time to explain the context of that exile, both in case you're unfamiliar with it, but also to help us get into the headspace of the author who wrote this psalm. So in 587 BC, and you don't need to remember that date, there's no test afterwards. In 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was besieged and captured by Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the Babylonian Empire. And during the siege, the walls of the city were broken down, and then in the aftermath, the city burned. The palace, the great houses, and most importantly, the temple of worship were all burned to the ground. And before the temple burned, the Babylonians looted it. And so they took away all of the gold and the bronze and all of the sacred tools that were used in the various temple ceremonies. And worst of all, they also took people. Many of the people were taken from the land and resettled in Babylon, the capital of the empire. And so for 70 years, the people lived in captivity, forced to start a new life alongside the people that had captured them. A few months ago, we did a series on the book of Jonah, and in that series, we talked about how brutal the Assyrian Empire was in its war campaigns. And in fact, this brutality is probably part of why Jonah did not want to go and preach to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. 
The Babylonians, which succeed, who succeeded the Assyrians, they were more of the same, essentially. Much like the Assyrians before them, they held on to power through campaigns of fear and terror. And so when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, for example, he captured the king Zedekiah and his family, and he killed all of Zedekiah's sons in front of him, and then he gouged out Zedekiah's eyes to make sure that the sight of his dead sons would be the last thing the king would ever see. And so being conquered by the Babylonians meant being tormented and abused. And so this is the situation that the writer of this psalm finds themselves in. And so as we read this psalm, I want us to try and imagine and put ourselves in this headspace. So engage your imagination. You have been ripped from your home and abused and beaten. And your city has been destroyed. And you, most importantly, your place of worship has been burned to the ground. The place that you would go to connect with God is gone. And now you're forced to live among the people that captured and abused you in a foreign and hostile land. And so I want us all to just take a breath and try and put ourselves in that situation. I want you to imagine what you would be feeling as someone living in exile in Babylon. All right, hopefully you've, uh, you've sort of imagined what that would be like, and so now we'll read Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done for us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. So I just want to let that last line sit for a bit. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. So it is a shocking conclusion to this psalm. It hits you like a brick in the face. And even compared to the verse before it, it feels very extreme. Christians throughout history have struggled to make sense of this psalm. How could God's word include something so violent and hateful? Right? We believe that God is love, and that love is what defines God's character. And yet this psalm seems to be anything but loving. It seems opposed to God's character and to the teachings of the rest of the Bible. Well, the first thing to remember when we look at a text like this is that just because a person in the Bible says something or does something doesn't mean that God is also doing that thing. right? And so the Psalms in particular are written as expressions of human emotion. The author of the Psalm is describing how they feel, not necessarily what God is doing. And so if we understand that, we can start to make sense of what this Psalm is saying and what it's teaching us. So I hope you were able to put yourself in the headspace of the author because I think it helps us understand where the author is coming from. The author of this psalm has been deeply, deeply hurt and abused, and so now they are 
so angry and frustrated that they are in tears. And their hurt is so deep, they sit by the canals of the great city of Babylon and they just openly weep. And out of that deep hurt and anger comes this cry to God. God, I am so angry right now that I do not know how to deal with it. God, I hate these people because of what they have done to me and my people. God, I want to see them suffer the way that I have suffered. That's how I feel right now. It's it's a hard emotion to know what to do with. And as Christians, we often don't want to admit that we do feel this way sometimes, right? We don't, we don't want to admit that we feel angry with other people. And so this psalm in the Bible, it's in the Bible because it is true to the way that we feel. The Bible doesn't try to present a perfect picture of humanity. It doesn't try to paint us in our best light. It shows us what we're actually like in all of our brokenness and all of our imperfection. Right, and that's, that's the book of the Psalms. It captures the whole spectrum of human emotion. And this is really important because if we're not willing to acknowledge and name the ways that we feel, those feelings continue to boil under the surface and they'll eventually bubble over. Right, and so with anger, that can mean snapping at things and at people that aren't actually the source of your anger. And it can mean getting angry and frustrated with your family or your friends or your coworkers when they did nothing to deserve it. They're not the ones that hurt you. In our series on the book of Jonah, I told the story of a guy I knew in high school who I really did not like. He was dating one of my friends and he cheated on her multiple times. And that made me really angry, right? Understandably so, because he hurt someone that I cared about. But because I didn't know how to deal with my feelings of anger, He lived rent-free in my head for two years. And despite my best efforts to suppress my anger and not let it be known to the people around me, it would come out sometimes. I would snap at my friends for no reason, or I would get frustrated at little things that really weren't worth getting angry over. But because I didn't understand my own feelings, because I held on to my anger for so long, it bubbled over into other parts of my life. And so we need to acknowledge and address our anger if we want to be healthy and balanced emotionally and if we want to have good relationships with the people we care about. Now, part of why Christians and other readers struggle so much with this psalm is because they assume that the author wants to go out and bash Babylonian babies themselves or they want their their compatriots to do it. They read this psalm as a call to action. Right, and I think this author wants to go and enact justice by human hands. But I think the author is actually doing the opposite of that. Rather than going out and getting vengeance themselves, they're asking God to do it. They're taking their feelings and handing them over to God. They're saying, look, God, this is how I feel, and I can't deal with it, so I am putting it in your hands. It's not my burden to carry anymore. And so this is actually a model of how we should handle our anger. Rather than pushing it down, or rather than trying to go and get even ourselves, we need to hand our anger over to God and leave it up to him to set things right. Rather than carrying around the burden of our anger, we need to give that burden over to God. So, for example, in his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 19, 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So this is this teaching now just explicitly laid out in the New Testament. In that verse, Paul is quoting the book of Deuteronomy, specifically chapter 32, verse 35, which would have been known to the author of Psalm 137. And so by praying this psalm as a prayer, the author of this psalm is following biblical teaching on how to handle anger. And again, just because the psalm is asking God to do something doesn't mean God is going to carry out justice in that way. God later did bring the Babylonians to justice, but he did it in a very different way than this. He didn't go around killing children. But either way, by praying this prayer, the author of the psalm is following biblical teaching. And rather than taking out their anger themselves, they're handing it over to God. They're letting go of the burden of anger that they've been carrying. And we need to do the same with our anger. Now that's the psalm itself, but that psalm is not the whole Bible. And so if we read on to the New Testament, we find out that in fact we're called to this, but we're called to something more than this. In chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is teaching to a crowd of people, and he is reinterpreting a lot of Old Testament teachings. And so he touches on a variety of subjects, including murder, adultery, divorce, and jealousy. And one of the things that he says is this in verses 44 to 48. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So the author of Psalm 137 is operating under the principle of loving his neighbors and hating his enemies, right? They want to see their enemies hurt the way that they have been hurt. But Jesus calls us to love our enemies because even our enemies are loved by God. And if we're going to be children of our Father in heaven, and if we're going to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect, it means we need to love the way that God loves. And God loves all people. Each and every person is God's masterpiece made in his image, right? And God sends the sun and the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike because he loves them all. And so our prayer shouldn't be, God, I'm really angry with this person right now, so I'm handing my anger over to you and asking you to hurt them the way that I have been hurt. Our prayer should be, God, I'm really angry with this person right now, so I'm handing my anger over to you and asking you to help me see them the way that you see them, because I know you love them just as much as you love me. And so when we've been hurt by other people, and when we're really angry with other people, yes, we need to hand our anger over to God, rather than carry the burden ourselves. But as Christians, our responsibility doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just handing over our anger. We need to also see the people that have hurt us the way that God sees them, and love them, the way that God loves them. I ask you to join me now in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for accepting us as we are. Thank you that we don't need to hide the parts of ourselves that are broken and hurting. 
I want to thank you that you include in your word, the Bible, all the different ways that we feel and react to the things around us. Thank you that we can bring our anger and our hurt and our sadness to you. Lord, many of us today are carrying the burden of anger. Right? We've been hurt by people in the past, and we've hung on to that hurt and that anger. And we've let them bubble and boil under the surface. And so, God, we ask you now to take the burden of anger away from us. We know it's not our place to get even. And so we are giving our anger over to you now and leaving it in your hands. May your will be done in our situation, Lord. And Lord, we ask you to help us see the people that have hurt us the way that you see them. Lord, it's easy for us to love our neighbors and hurt our enemies, but we know that you call us to more. You love all people, and so we ask that you give us your heart for all people. And so, Lord, we want to thank you for your incredible love that loved us even when we were your enemies, when we were walking away from you. Thank you for never giving up on us. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.